0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. John chapter 3, and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Pharisees, not good people. Nicodemus, a name that indicates, it's a Greek name, it indicates that he came from education. It indicates that he was a man well-versed in the law. He understood, he knew the Jewish law, he knew the Torah, he understood the writings of Moses. But he came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. He recognized something in Jesus Christ that the Pharisees were desperately afraid of. They were uh, unnerved at what he was doing, and he addressed them regarding the miracles that thou doest, except that God be with him. Verse 3, this is how Jesus answered him. He said unto him, verily, verily, Jesus is strongly emphasizing his next words. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Everybody say, "Born born again. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born I want you to know that that terminology, born again and born, is derived from the the word from out of, born out of, or to come out of. Jesus answered verily, verily again, stressing his words, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, it doesn't have anything to do with you coming from your mother's womb any longer. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's something special and new that's coming in this message that I'm delivering. He's saying, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. In other words, you don't see the wind, but when the trees are moving, you know that the wind is there. There's something there, even though we can't see it. And thou hearest the sound thereof. The wind always makes a sound. It doesn't matter how faint it is. If everything else is quiet, the wind makes a sound. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach to you this morning about the one thing, the one thing. You see, every living person, every living person, whether you believe in God or not, whether you ascribe to a religion or a faith or whatever the case may be, every living person is a living soul. You have a living, eternal soul. No matter what happens to your body, no matter where you go, no matter what you think or what you do, from now until the time that you die, inside every single one of your bodies, inside this flesh, inside you is a living, eternal soul. It's a soul that God put there. I'm going to read Scripture in a moment that talks about that. But it's an eternal soul, and we've got to always keep in mind, we've got to keep at the forefront of our minds that we have a responsibility We have something very critically important that no matter what else is going on in life, no matter where life's course takes us, no matter what we're experiencing, what we're dealing with health-wise or benefit or bounty or whatever the case is, we have a long, eternal soul that we are responsible for. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 says it this way. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonians. He says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Keep those points in mind. God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth. Remember, he said, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. These were brand new experiences. He said, you can't go back into your mother's womb and come again. That's not the rebirth he's talking about of. You have to be born of the water. Come out of the water. You have to be born of the spirit. It's a a special event. You don't see where it goes. You don't know where the spirit goes. But there's a sound thereof, and there's some visible aspect to that. There's an experience That you have to have to be born of the Spirit. The belief of the truth. There's a lot of terminology. There's a lot of discussion about belief in our world today. Just believe. We've we've modified Christianity. We've modified the Word of God. We've modified things to make it easy for people. We've created an inoculation doctrine, as my old Sunday school teacher used to say, that just gives people just enough to say, yes, I believe and I'm in the club now and everything's going to be okay. But I'm here to tell you today that there's an eternal soul that you've got to be concerned about. There's specific ways that God has defined how that soul is going to be redeemed and it's through sanctification of the spirit paul said and a belief in the truth let me go on a little bit further he says into the romans in romans chapter 1 and 16 he said for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the jew first and also to the greek well there you go pastor if you believe you're justified you're sanctified But I don't know a situation, I'm not familiar of any event, I'm not familiar with a corporate training, a teaching, a high school education, a college degree, or any of those factors that simply says if I learn something and I believe it, then they're going to send me a paycheck, then they're going to go ahead and take care of me, that the company's going to hire me, that everything is just going to happen because I believe I can run a computer or I believe that I can drive a truck or I believe that I can do a job. You know something? I had a hard time believing that I could be a pastor. It's, a strong, it's an important calling. I had to go into the depths of prayer and fasting, seeking God's will, making sure, because I struggled to even believe that I could do this job effectively and for you. But finally one day my mentor said, stop it, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call, just get up there and do your job. Nowhere is just believing bring everything to its full completion. I used to say to the young people in Sunday school, you know, if you're out in the ocean swimming and suddenly you get a cramp and you start going under and you yell, lifeguard, lifeguard, come and help me. And the guy swims out with the big buoy thing or whatever you call it, lifesaver deal, and he stops by you and he looks at you and says, hey, I'm a lifeguard, I can save you. And you go, I believe you. Glug, 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 glug as you go down. What's the lifeguard gonna do? Give instructions. All you have to do to believe he's a lifeguard is he's got the preserver and the little short pants on and the little thing and the goggles or whatever and this big red cross on it and all that stuff, right? Doesn't take much to believe is what I'm trying to tell you. But what it takes is the following of the instructions of the lifeguard. When he says, this is how I'm gonna get you into shore. You need to calm down, you need to relax. I'm gonna take you around the shoulder or under the head or whatever they do. Uh, I've never been drowning, thank God. So, but it's something like that. Follow my instructions. He's, the first thing he's going to do is begin to give instructions so that that person can be saved. And God has given us instruction. You know, i want to say this. Real, I'm going to step out for just a second. I, this whole argument of the Bible and the, and the God of Jehovah and, and these other gods and other ideas has all been settled long ago. You know, why don't we stand out at the door there and check people at the door? Do you believe the Bible? Uh, not really. Okay, you're not welcome here. You know Why? Because just because people haven't had that experience and they don't know enough and haven't experienced enough, they don't know and don't understand. So a lot of people just decided for themselves that it was a, it's a book of fantasy and story. I saw a friend, a former co-worker of mine on Facebook the other day. So, uh, someone had stopped and put, put something in her door with a little letter and a track. And, and, and it said, well, how do you feel about the Bible? And her comments on Facebook were, a blight upon the world. But you know why we don't check people at the door and say, do you believe the Bible? If you're not, you're not welcome here. It's because the Bible is quick, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder to the soul and spirit and the marrow and the joints. That's why. Because it's got its power to do the work. It's the instruction for salvation. And if I could just share with her a little bit more. I used to witness to her. We used to share at lunchtime. This is a coworker. And... and, and, and I was able to get some words and I thought if I could just get some more and she could experience the power and the wisdom and the wealth and the beauty of the word of God. But this whole thing with the Bible has been settled long ago. I had somebody tell me one time, well, all these gods are the same God, Allah and all this stuff, and they're all the same, so let's just worship the same God. And I said, no, that's not true. If you've read the writings of these other guys, you'd know it's not the same author, well, how do you know your God's greater than the other God and this God and etc.? I'll tell you how because in the Bible, every single time they came up against the God of Jehovah, every king, Nebuchadnezzar, every Dagon, every possible situation, the prophets of Baal who sat there and they cut themselves and worship and pled with their God to come down and fire consume their sacrifice. It never happened. The God of Jehovah always, always showed up. That has been settled, it's done. And he's the God of Jehovah that wrote this Bible, the one God Bible author. Dagon fell flat on his face and broke into pieces just before the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Nebuchadnezzar declared it to the three Hebrew children, your God Jehovah is greater than them all, after he saw what happened. That has been settled. So the Bible, well, then we get into that whole idea of interpretation and all that kind of stuff. Nonsense. There are words that have meanings in what they say. But you know something? It's not necessarily our job to try to get somebody or try to connive or or work or whatever. It's our job to share the word of God. It's our job to give that instruction. It's a very simple thing. Jesus Christ sat with a man of the Pharisees, and he looked at him who was talking about the miracles that you do, and he looked him square in the eye, and he said, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he shall not enter the kingdom of God. Simple is that. Nicodemus had a soul. Sixty-second chapter of Psalms says that God only is my rock and my salvation. He is my deference, shall, excuse me, is my defense, and I shall not be moved. The God of Jehovah, the one that put them all to shame, the one that have settled this argument forever, is my salvation. He's the author of my salvation. It goes on in chapter 68 of Psalm. He that is our God is the God of salvation. You understand these were writings that were done before Jesus was born. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Hebrews chapter 5 and 9. In being made perfect, he, meaning Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey. The God of the Israelites. Jehovah God, the author of the word of God, the author of all those magnificent events, the author of the events that showed that there are no other gods before him, it says in the book of Isaiah, beside me there is no savior. I am your savior. I am salvation. So born of the water and the spirit. We look at Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. This is a scripture that some people struggle with. He seems to be ambiguous. It seems to introduce a different concept. It says, uh, this is Jesus again talking. Remember, we're talking about Jesus, the Savior, the one who sacrificed, the one who is God manifest in the flesh, looked at his disciples and he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Whoa, wait a second. That's really confounding to me. And many churches have taken that on. That one scripture, that's the only place that exists, but it's Jesus talking to his disciples. Why did he say it that way? Because he knew that he said the name of the Father, and then he says again in those terms, of the Son. Now, if you look back into the Greek, it breaks it out the same way, that of and the and Son are there. I've told you many times before, that term Son, Son of God, Son can be exchanged with the word flesh. Jesus was the flesh of God. And so in that terminology, it it breaks out each one of those. Name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. That means that every one of those entities, if you want to put it that way, has a name. God has a name. The Son has a name. The Holy Ghost has a name. Ephesians chapter 4 lays it out for us. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, Jesus, or God, right? Father God. One God who is above all and through all, Jesus Christ, and in you all, the Holy Ghost. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost is Jesus Christ. With God, there is always reward, and with the devil, there is always a price. Let me say it again. With God there is always reward. And with the devil, there is always a price. The word tells us that the wages of sin is death. And as I said before, it's our soul that's at stake. You have a living, eternal soul within you that's in jeopardy right now. And the closer that we get to the time, I said it this morning in in morning service, the kingdom is coming. The time is coming. It has to be. We're looking at everything happening in the world. Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Men of God and women of God everywhere feeling and experiencing and getting word from the Lord. These messages are coming stronger and stronger as God speaks to us that his time is short and our souls are in jeopardy if we've not taken hold of his word and protected our soul. And not just our souls, but the souls of those that we know. We've got to stop being worried about this message. Stop worried about the conflict. Stop worrying about the conversation that may come, debating about the word of this. Jesus Christ, him said, except you're born of the water and the spirit, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. It's that simple. It's been written. It's sealed and it's done. He's the God that took down Dagon and took down all these false gods. He wrote the word as he described it. He declared himself the person, the source of salvation. And it's our soul that he's reaching out to get. Genesis chapter 2 and 7, excuse me, just says it at the very beginning, this is Genesis 2 and 7, he's in the garden, he's formed man, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So I want you to take a moment now. We know, again, this morning, I talked about God is love. His his source, his essence, his sustenance is God. God is love. He is love. And so he breathes into man at the very beginning the breath of life. He breathes into him a living soul. God literally gave a gigantic portion of the love of his substance and breathed it into you. And he wanted to have that living creature. And now, because man's fall, he's provided a way for salvation, provided a way to redeem that part of his love that he gave out, every soul that exists, that he breathed life into, he wants to redeem it back to himself you are an eternal living soul and it will live in eternity somewhere we have to keep that at the forefront of our minds look at Mark chapter 8 Mark 8 and 36 says it this way. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, if you go through the Old Testament, you start in Genesis. Genesis excuse me. The word soul, by the way, is reflected in the King James Version of Bible almost 500 times. And you go through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, it says, his soul, his soul, that soul, the soul, the soul, the soul. When you get into Deuteronomy and you start moving past that and God starts dealing with men and, 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 the, and the prophets and, and dealing with men of God directly, he starts saying, thy soul, thy soul. Thy soul, thy soul. He starts talking again and again and again. It's repeated over and over and over again throughout the book of Leviticus. Your soul, the soul that does this and the soul that commits that and the soul that does that. What do you think is most important to God when 500 times his people are referenced not as a person or that individual or that, that Jew or that Greek, but he says that soul that does this, that soul that commits, that soul that doesn't do. And then he turns it and begins to speak to them in terms of thy soul, thy soul, thy soul. Why does he do that? Because the fact of the matter is that you have control. You have the ability. You have the possibility to ruin your soul. You can take your soul out of the picture. In other words, what I'm saying, your soul is in your hands. He simply gave us the instruction. What does it profit a man if he lose, has the whole world? In other words, you just gain everything that you want, but you've lost your soul. Because everything in this world will burn. Everything in this world is short-term. It's, 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 it's fleeting. But your soul is eternal. So then he asks the question, what do you give in exchange for it? What will you give in exchange to save your soul and to help others do the same? Will you release your pride were you release this idea that you have it right and that's not what the Bible means and this is the way I interpret it and this is the way I think it was and this is the way my traditional faith told me and this is the way other people think about it and there's more people doing that than doing this and so they must be right? Or will you look into the word of God and define it, rightly dividing it, tearing it apart, eating it, consuming it, diving into it, saying, Pastor, what does this mean? Can you explain it to me? Is my soul in jeopardy or have I got this thing right? Or is it more comfortable just saying, nope, I know what I know. I know know what I've been taught. I'm not looking any further. I believe. The devil doesn't want to keep you from being rich or comfortable or content or distracted or disengaged or asleep. He doesn't want to keep you from any of that. He's pleased when we don't pray, when we skip church, when we decide that things aren't important or the things of God, when we don't pick up his word, when we don't dedicate time. He loves that. He's fine with that. He doesn't want to stop you from any of that. But what he does want to stop you from is protecting your soul, because that's what he wants. See, more than anything, he'll never take ownership of it. The devil can't own your soul. The devil can't take it. You know, we've heard things about possessions and all that kind of stuff, and I believe those things have existed. There's a lot more influence than possession in the world. But the devil cannot own your soul. As a matter of fact, it's believed that possession is really a matter of will. You've allowed, you've opened a door for God to, to do those things. And certainly he influences us on a regular basis. You've heard me say many times before, the devil baits his hook with your favorite sin. But you are in charge of your soul. You are in charge of your soul. The enemy does want us distracted. He wants us contented with where we are. He wants us to like lack of change. It's very difficult, I understand. He wants us to be contented with the way things that are because it endangers our souls and it keeps us from helping others. See, if we're just contented coming every week and getting a good feeling of some great messages, sing a few songs, and then go about our daily life, we switch off when we leave the church and, and we just go about our, our daily thing and we become contented, we're in danger of falling asleep. And I want to tell you, your soul is in danger if that's the case. Let's read on just a little bit. I'm gonna close with this. The one thing that matters the most is the soul and every soul is something that we can reach. We can do about it now. While there's breath in your lungs, where there's understanding in your mind, you have the opportunity now to lock it down and say, my soul is mine, devil. You're not gonna do anything with it, so I'm gonna go above and beyond. I'm gonna find the things that are gonna do that are gonna confound the enemy and his attachment to my soul because he can't own it, but he can influence us enough that we own it and ruin it. You understand? He can influence us enough because he wants our soul to be done with him. He doesn't own it, but we can condemn ourselves to be with him. Ezekiel chapter 18 and 27 says again, "...when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive." Look at Psalm 19 and 7, the law of the Lord that means the word, okay, that means the word, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You see, if you, even, if you don't even have a clue, if this is confounding to you, confusing to you, I've struggled with this, with this my whole life. The Word itself, remember I said earlier, we don't have to check people in as believers of the Word. Let them come and experience it. The Word is quick and powerful. It does its own thing. The, uh, brother and Sister Mattson used to sing a song a long time ago, keep on casting your bread on the waters and soon it'll come back home on every wave. That's Scripture. That's talking about just put your Word out there. Give it a try. Let people hear it. Let the Word of God do the work for you because it's powerful and it's gonna get down into their hearts and plant seeds. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, the word of God. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, even though simple doesn't mean stupid, it means unlearned, it means you don't know yet. Just sharing it, just, just giving it, and studying it save your own soul and those that hear thee the word says why don't you stand with me this morning James chapter 5 and 19 says brethren if any of you do err from the truth the truth means the word again and one convert him brings him back, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Do you hear the power that James just put into your hands? If someone has erred from the way, maybe they're simple, they just don't know, they don't understand. But if you share the word with them, you take the opportunity to help them and when it says convert them, it means, it means turn them around. You know, show them the right way. If you convert them, you save a soul, an eternal soul. That's powerful. That's incredible. And in doing so, you hide a multitude of sins. Jesus said, you must be born of the water and the spirit. I don't know if there's anyone in the room today who has not been baptized in Jesus' name. Today's the day. You've heard the word. That's how it has to go. Protect your soul. If you've not been filled with his spirit, the wind bloweth where it listeth. You must be born also of the spirit. Those were two separate things that Jesus identified there. They don't happen just when you get baptized. Suddenly you have the spirit of God. The book of James tells us also that the tongue is the most unruly part of the body. It can set a world afire. It's full of wickedness and poison. And people will ask me sometimes, this whole tongues thing is really crazy. It's so weird. It's so strange. Why would, why would, you, why would churches do that? That's cultish. That's so strange and odd. And my first argument always is, have you turned on public radio? Have you turned on, Have you watched a music video recently? Why is it that the whole rest of the world can act bizarre and strange and do stupid things and act weird and be contrary to common sense and do all these terrible things and speak all this stuff all over media? You can hear the craziest garbage. But the church of the living God, the ones who follow this, the God that authored this, Said to be filled with my spirit, it's part of the salvation. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you'll be born of the water and born of the spirit. And we start talking about tongues being filled with the spirit, that heavenly language. God says in James that that our tongue is full of wickedness. It's the most unruly thing. We can't control it. It defiles God. It says terrible things. And so if God can take a hold of your tongue, if he can get a hold of that unruly thing, the thing that curses your friends and comes to church and praises God at the same time, if he can get a hold of that, if he can subdue that, which, by the way, has a direct ligamented connection right to your pride, by the way. Most of the people I've had struggle with the whole tongues thing. Wow, it's so weird, it's so odd. It's because you don't want to be silly before God. It's because you're afraid to sound strange. You're afraid to do something weird. What are my friends going to think? What am I going to do if I have to go and say, hey, I went to this church and I got filled with the Holy Ghost and I spoke in a heavenly language another tongue I didn't know? Your soul's at stake. What difference does it make what they think? The God of heaven said, you've got to be filled with my spirit. Your soul is in danger. If you don't take that seriously, forget what they say. If they don't love you enough to be your friend, whether you're weird or not, they're probably not worth being a friend. Especially if they're telling you what you're doing to protect your soul is goofy, silly. Stay away from it. Or better yet, oh, that doctrine is wrong. Oh, that's not right. You automatically have the spirit by believing. You know, the Bible says that the devils believe. They know that there's one God and they believe and they tremble. By that logic alone, the belief doctrine goes right out the window because I know ain't no devils that are going to the heaven I'm going to. So this morning, if you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, and I'm looking across the crowd, but I don't see very well, I'm going to make this available. That thing is warm now, I promise you. Scout's honor, it really actually is warm. It's like a hot tub. I want to tell you the temptation is strong. Coming in here at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning at minus six degrees. (laughs) We can baptize you today in Jesus' name. We've got the gowns, we've got the towels. There's nothing stopping you. There's nothing holding you back. The only thing you need to be worried about is preparing and protecting your soul. You haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. They wash away, they're gone, they go away for good. They're under the blood. And it says, ye shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That means, that tells me at some time, at some place, you're going to get to that place. If it doesn't happen now, if it doesn't happen before you're baptized, it's going to happen after you're baptized. Because in faith, you're going to continue in hunger, wanting to seek and desire to see God and what he's got for you. And we're, you know what? We're going to pray for you, and God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. And you're going to be one of those crazy, cultish people who stands up and says, God has filled me with his spirit. I'm heaven bound. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. The invitation is open this morning. The altar is open. I'm going, to hear, I'm going to be here and wait for you. The baptismal is warm. The word of God is hot. And this altar is open. Come down. Protect your souls this morning. Lord, we're thankful, God, for all that you do, the word that you've given us, the fact that you are the God of our salvation, the God who showed every other God that you are the one God, the one God, Jehovah. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast.